Hi and welcome to another Pictured Learning podcast. Um, I'm Adele Weaver. I'm joined today by my colleague Julian Crute. And today's podcast is all about the things you would need to consider if you are delivering systems training in your organisation. So perhaps you are involved in a project uh, and there is a project to roll out uh, a new system in the organisation. Perhaps there is a piece of work around improving capability of a, of a system you currently use. Maybe you need to reduce the number of calls into IT and you have been tasked with creating some training material in order to uh, make learners a little bit more self-sufficient. So we're here to give you some advice about how you might approach this and the things you need to ask yourself and consider before you make any decisions on how the training will look, what platform you will use, how you will deploy it and so on. So Julian is our technical guru and he will walk you through uh, some technical advice. So some really, really important questions that you might need to uh, ask yourself. But just before I move on to Julian, I'll just sort of set the scene that in this sort of situation, many training managers or L&D uh, teams or whoever's responsible for the training roll outside of, of a new system. Um, or often that can just be an IT team. So in our experience, the first thought is uh, let's create some e-learning and then we get uh, a little bit carried away and we try and produce e-learning and we try and produce it in five minutes and we think it will solve all our problems. Let, let's start with um, what are some of the key questions that you would be advising somebody in this position before they make any decisions? There's a few things that I think we need to consider both before we start the development stage and also things that you should consider for deploying the content after you've created it. I've made a list here and it's not an exhaustive list. It's just five things that I think you should think about. So firstly, is your e-learning tool or your screen recording software available on the machine that's running the system that you need to record? So why could that be an issue? It's actually very common in large organisations for the testing department to be quite reluctant to have you install third-party software on a system that they are testing. It's also sometimes can be a problem where the IT department has a firm grip on the software that's permitted to be installed. Whilst you might eventually be able to get it installed, getting that authorization can be quite a lengthy process and sometimes it's, it's never approved. So it's not always a given that you'll be able to get the tools that you need installed on the machine that you need to record the system. And I guess you might need multiple licenses on multiple machines unless one single person does all of the recording on one machine with the e-learning tool and the system on it. Is that what you're saying? I guess that's not really the problem. The problem is recording it in the first place. Once you have recorded it, then you're quite right. You can have you can share the project with multiple users so they can share the load of the of the editing. But the, it's the recording in the first place which can be problematic and that's something that people should definitely think about before they commit to e-learning. So a bit of advice if you are going down the e-learning route is to factor into your timelines your own internal administration processes. Absolutely, yeah. So what else? What's tip number two? The second thing is, is the system that you are wanting to record compatible with the screen recording software that you're using? Now, some people might be screwing their face up and going, what on earth are you talking about? That's not a problem. If you operate a, a character user interface, a character-driven user interface, or a Chewy, quite common in financial services where they operate on IT platforms that date back to the 60s and 70s, and really they're, they're so embedded into the, the organization's function that they can't change them very easily. 
And recording that software can be problematic because the same keys that you might use to perform a process or a function within that system is also the same key that can control your e-learning software. So, for example, pressing the F3 key might be required within that process, but pressing the F3 key might also cause your screen recording software to stop recording. So it's something to bear in mind. So are you saying that, particularly in the world of banking, unless the banking platform has a GUI that sits on top, are you suggesting that traditional e-learning tools can't comfortably or consistently do the recording? I'd say it's, it's something you should definitely check out first. So if that's an issue, what's the alternative? The, the alternative is what we do. And uh, admittedly, this is not something that most companies would, would, would know how to undertake themselves. But, so we come at e-learning from a slightly different angle. We come at it more from a, a, a film production technique point of view. So everything that we capture is actually done in hardware. So there's no requirement for software at all. How we do it is a little bit more technical and we can perhaps explain that in another podcast. But essentially we cut out the problems that some people may encounter by using screen recording software. So this technique can probably bypass some of the time it can take to jump through your internal bureaucracy and administration and can certainly work on any operating system. Yes. Anything else you'd add? There are some systems that don't exist on typical platforms like Windows. It's quite possible that your system that you want to record can't exist on the same platform that the e-learning tool or your screen recording software has been developed to work on. If you use a software-free approach like we do, then that will solve your problem. But that brings in a, a few other technical considerations that uh, you, you probably need to have a better understanding of before diving in at the deep end. So we're getting into some complex reasons why one particular approach to systems training will or won't work. And it makes me smile when I think of the times when you're told, um, just go make some e-learning. Yeah. So that's a good bit of advice. Uh, so what about tip number three? So tip number three is firstly to consider what format do you need to deliver the content in? Okay, so what do you mean by that? A couple of things. Firstly, do your learners really need the um, interactive elements and assessments that, that, that come with a typical e-learning platform? Or are you trying to create content that gives your learners the capability of just finding the answer to something really quickly? Because if that is the case, then we would suggest that you, you aim more towards a, a video output rather than an e-learning output. And this is a common dilemma. I think often in our industry, we can be obsessed with data and analytics that uh, if you're not seeing your evaluation all the way through to level four, which can we all just hold our hands up for a second and admit that we, uh, we, we don't always do, it doesn't always happen, then I often find uh, myself asking, why have you insisted on creating an assessment when this is about a piece of knowledge the learner needs there? And then, you know, right now they need the answer. Do we really need all that data all of the time? Well, my view, and it may be a biased view, is that in most cases, probably not. I think it's a worthy sacrifice to make. Some people might not like the sound of that, but I, I'd, I'd certainly think it requires a leap of faith. And I think where we've taken that leap of faith, it's actually brought dividends. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. Uh, maybe what separates our approach from the traditional approach is that we're saying quite confidently uh, that we're providing information and answers quickly. And that's our offering. That's our product. 
Just to be clear, if you're using an LMS, then absolutely you can track usage. What we're saying is we're not necessarily going down the assessment route for every key message that we're providing uh, video content for. If later on in the process you found that as you know, you developed a catalogue of content on a similar theme. If you really did want to create an assessment, it can be done within the build of an e-learning module, can't it? The simple uh, approach that most people will take is provide information and then assess them on that afterwards. So you just embed the knowledge, which is the video that you've created, and follow it up with a series of questions which form your assessment. So we're not saying it's impossible to provide level one assessment with our approach. We're saying our philosophy is the learner's requirements for the information comes first. Absolutely. Content is king. So that was tip number three. What about tip number four? Uh, tip number four is, do you have access to a test system with dummy data? OK, that sounds pretty obvious. Doesn't everyone have one of these? Ideally, and we, we can't emphasise this enough, we would always, always push for uh, recording a system with dummy data in it so that you're not in any breach of data protection. But it's not always possible. So one thing to consider is the time it takes to redact or mask some of that data to make it usable in the public domain. So we can't stress enough the importance of data security. Um, and what, what is the worst case scenario if there was no training environment? What could you do? The most obvious approach would be to record the system anyway because you have no choice, but to retrospectively go back on each occurrence where there is sensitive data, you'd probably need to, to mask that out with some kind of a, a box or a, or a blurring, blurring effect. But um, it's extremely time-consuming, particularly in an e-learning tool, because that sensitive data is going to occur in several places on several different screens. It comes back to the point that we would always recommend recording a system with dummy data if you can. However, instead of using e-learning tools you decide to use a similar approach to the, to the way we approach it, which is from a video production perspective. That gives you access to video tools, things like motion tracking, to, to mask out areas even when those areas are moving. And it can save you a bit of time and, and can often lead to a better result. But I would suggest that if you have an awful lot of masking or data reduction to do, be prepared for a big job. So the advice there is to consider that before you commission any um, training materials, uh, because it might increase, um, you know, that column in your project plan called time and, and the dates. Also, if you're using a third party to create the e-learning on your behalf, then without having a training environment or good dummy data, it's going to add to your cost considerably. So do bear that in mind. So that was tip number four, Jules. Uh, and tip number five? Tip number five, or again, consideration number five, is is how quickly do you need to convey the message or instruction in the first place? And, and do you have the necessary in-house skill for writing scripts that meet that need? OK, so this would be if you wanted voiceover or narration to accompany the content. It's that, and it's also having the, the, the ability to break down a process and, and simplify it as, as far as you possibly can. Simplicity never comes easy. You might expect us to say it, but uh, it's kind of where we have a, a, a lot of strength, really, is that we've got an awful lot of experience in really breaking down complex processes into really, really succinct chunks and having the skill to write the scripts that accompany that. 
I would definitely agree with that. And ironically, the shorter and more concise you make the message, the longer it takes to create in our experience. If it sounds simple and succinct, chances are someone spent a long time getting it to that point. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It makes a massive difference to the end user. If a learner is distracted by not quite hearing the coherent key message, they'll switch off. It's as simple as that. It has to be brilliant. Okay, anything else you'd advise? Well, I want to talk a little bit about um, video standards. Video standards are fairly well established. The problem with e-learning development tools is that they tend to kick out video either in a custom format that you've created because that's all you can fit on your computer screen, or you get your e-learning tool to convert your content into what would be described as a, an industry standard video format. But that video has been compressed and compressed video looks great when it's first created. If at any point you need to adjust it further down the line, you end up with a horrible looking production. So we always record in the highest possible quality in the first instance. So that means using hardware. And from that point on, you can export any video format that you need with very little quality loss. It also means that the end result can then be used in such cases like a, a conference where you might want to play a video on a large screen. So you're saying using the video approach that we use is likely to yield a more consistent and flexible video product? Flexibility is key. Um, accessibility is key. Uh, it may be that none of those things matter to you, so your e-learning tool may be adequate for the job. If any of those things that I've spoken about are potentially important to you further down the line, then don't make the mistake of just producing it in a random project size because you'll struggle later on when you need to change it. So that's good advice. Can I ask you just one last question? Um, so I know from experience, one of the big challenges of system training is keeping up to date and, uh, and accurate. So every time a system has an update, you need to go back, change the training, make sure it's still relevant and so on. So assuming that that's inevitable with most systems, which it probably is fair to say, what's the difference between how you would make updates in traditional e-learning and how you'd make updates using our approach so a couple of things with that if your solution is e-learning and you have interactions and so on and so forth within the content every time you make a change you don't just need to replace the screen that you recorded the likelihood is that you're going to have to replace those interactions as well so you're, you're exponentially increasing the work that has to take place to make that amendment the second thing is once your your project has been completed you don't generally end up with a timeline from, let's say, naught to two minutes within which you can go, OK, that bit at 45 seconds I'm going to take out and I'm going to drop in another bit to fill that little five-second section. Uh, generally, each page or each slide has its own separate timeline, so finding where you need to insert it can be a bit of a problem. With video, you can simply cut it out and replace it with something else. It's a little bit more fluid, it's a little bit quicker, it's still a pain, but it's definitely easier than trying to do it as part of a, 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 an e-learning programme with interactions. OK, that's brilliant. Any parting words of wisdom? I've been an e-learning developer. I personally would recommend anybody to at least consider changing the approach that you use for creating micro-learning content for users. For systems in particular? For systems in particular, yes. We're not talking here about lighting and studio setups. We're talking here about just applying 
some different principles for recording and editing the systems that you need to illustrate. Okay, that's brilliant. So that's it for another Pictured Learning podcast. Uh, do check out our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Pictured Learn and check out our website for more resources and tips about this sort of thing. Uh, so thank you, Jules. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Tune in next time for the next Pictured Learning podcast.